We're going to do a wee bit of review since there was so much data thrown out there last week. We are looking at the books that the Catholics still have in their Bible and other churches do as well. For example, the Coptics, the Slavonic, the Eastern Orthodox and the like. And they, the lists don't always agree. So we're going to take a look at those very briefly and then take a look at one of them. Uh, remember, every week in the um, e-blast will be the heads up and a link to where you can read it. If some of you are struggling reading the, the books, which are mostly very, very short, between Thursday and Sunday, I will also give you a heads up on the Sunday of what's coming up next week, all right? Next week is Judith, the book of Judith. And I'm not lifting, it's Judith. It's just, we don't have the word Judith, and we don't have that name in Scotland because we can't see it. Um, our Catholic friends, both Russian, uh, rather, I'm sorry, Roman and, and Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Egyptian, they have Bibles too. And the Protestant Bibles as well, until 1885, included a group of books that we no longer have. Now, don't get panicked by this. None of the books have anything to do that you need to know, you know, what do I need to know to be saved? They don't have that. They were called wisdom literature. Let's put up the next slide, please. And by the way, I'll have to prompt her because I didn't put slide marks in here. So it's not that she's asleep at the job. Uh, Laurie Lee does a fantastic job. We couldn't work without her. Um, none of these are as historically as important as Genesis, John, or Acts, but they have some very revealing uh, messages in them. I taught a series on this in Michigan, and one of my elders there just every single Sunday, I don't see why we have to know this stuff. Why, do we, if they were important, they'd be in our Bibles. And I said, well, they were, and then they weren't. Wouldn't that be something you'd like to know about? And it, it, the answer was no. Um, but I told him, you know, it, 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 it's not mandatory. You can go visit another class. Um, they're diverse. What we're looking at first are two actually uh, historical slash religious novels, Tobit and Judith. They're not really Bible books. They're not theology tomes. They're, they're novels. They're, in fact, some of the earliest novels ever written. Some of them are wisdom literature, such as, um, um, oh, Second Esdras, Fourth Ezra, uh, Ecclesiasticus. Don't get it confused with the other one. Uh, the Wisdom of Solomon and such like. And they were written between the time of Malachi to the, um, really, the end of the New Testament. So let's put up the next slide. That's our intertestamental knowledge. You've heard it said, for example, that there are 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Have you heard that term? No, it wasn't. God had prophets, and people were writing, and the Maccabees had risen. We'll get to them in a bit. Uh, not today. There were things going on. God had not retired. And the name Apocrypha, which normally we call them, just means hidden or different. Uh, they're, they're not like the other books. And they were understood that way to be different by the Jews and different by the Christians. Sometimes their list did not match. Uh, books that are, um, let's see, I want to make sure I want to do my slides right. Yeah, let's get the next one up. Books that are in the Roman Catholic, uh, Greek, and Slavonic Bibles are things like Talbot, Judith, Additions to Esther, that's the name of it. Um, Remember we said last week, nobody named their books back then. We just put names on them. Wisdom of Solomon, Serach, Baruch, 
letter of Jeremiah, additions to Daniel, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Uh, both in the Slavonic Bible and the Latin Vulgate appendix would be the next slide, please. Uh, we can do, got the next one? We do? Not in the Roman Catholic Bible, is that the one? Yes, thank you. I'm sorry, I was skipping ahead. Just me. All right, sorry. First, I've had weddings. I've had all kinds of stuff this week. The only thing I've not done is juggle kittens. Um, and I think that's four o'clock. Um, first, Esdras, Prayer of Manasseh, Psalm 151, and Third Maccabees. And by the way, just to in, confuse things even more, some Bibles have Psalm 151, but they don't call it Psalm 151. They fold it into another place and take another psalm out. So um, it does get confusing. Now, can we go to the next one, Miss Laurie? Thank you. Book in a Slavonic Bible and in a Latin Vulgate appendix or Second Esdras. You looked at that last time. Books in the appendix to the Greek Bible is Fourth Maccabees. These are interesting books, but you don't have to know about them. But here's the important thing. They did. Jesus did. Most of them. Uh, some of them were written after Jesus. The apostles did. They referred to them. They, un they assumed you knew the stories. And so they told the stories. And today you'll see one of those, an illustration of that. By the way, I know we started early. And so we're going to end early. Uh, we want to make sure you beat the Baptist to the restaurants. I know that's in incredibly important. Um, we're, we're not going to hold you to uh, a slave to a clock, all right? Um, let's see. In, in the Latin church, there were certain books that were included from the second and third centuries. In the east, they were not included as part of the Bible. On the other side, they were. In the east, however, would quote them. It is confusing. And if you don't think it's confusing, you haven't paid attention. If you're thinking it's only confusing because I'm going so fast, uh, you take your time. <laughs> it still gets confusing. When Luther came along, well, let's see, let's go to the next slide first. Are you aware when I, and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be insulting to anybody in the room. When I talk about the Orthodox churches, do you know what I mean when I say that? Uh, in, after the year 1000, 1000, the Catholic Church split into two main groups. The Roman Catholic Church, which is what most Americans think of when they think of Catholic, because that's what most Europeans would think of. And then the Orthodox churches, which actually have more members, but they are broken down into different groups. The Roman Catholic Church has a pope that's over all of them, whereas in the uh, Orthodox churches, the system's completely different. They have a metropolitan, not a pope, and he doesn't function in the same way, and there's generally more than one. And they have archbishops of this church, that church, and the other church, and they all have their own liturgies and ideas. But they are bound together as the Orthodox. They would make something, if they were going to do a picture of a saint, they would do it like the one you see up here. They, uh, Orthodox churches do not do 3D. They don't do statue. They thought that was sinful. That was making a graven image. But you could do a 2D icon. Uh, and that's... That the whole thing with the halo around and the Trinity and the cross thing, that's all iconography that comes from the Orthodox Church. And by the way, here's a little bit of trivia for you. The first person in history to paint icons, Luke. Luke was known not only as a historian and a physician, but as an incredible artist. And in history, he is given credit for, for doing the first icons. <laughs> 
So anyway, the Orthodox churches look more like that. All right, now we're going to look at a really exciting, handsome fella. Martin Luther. Um, he came along, and the concept of sola scriptura was put out. Now, uh, because before then, it had been the, the scripture as received by the church, and then the church gives us our guidance. He was saying, let's get the church out of that and let it be only scripture, sola scriptura. Well, then we had a problem. Which books are scripture? He rejected 2 Maccabees because he said that in chapter 12, it justifies the doctrine of purgatory and prayers on behalf of the dead. Um, he rejected Esther for having too much Judaism and pagan vice. People, the more you study Martin Luther, the more you go, oh my goodness. He used the word Jew as a synonym to criminal or thief. He talked about those Jews that stole something or those Jews that rioted when they weren't even Jewish, but to him, all Jews were rioters and criminals. Uh, during his time, one of the great German uh, lords actually made it legal to hunt Jews and gypsies and paid a bounty for killing, you know, this much for a guy, this much for a woman, this much for a child. And Luther had no problem with it. So let's not put Luther up too high on a statue. He was a human. Uh, he worked. He was, a, he was a person of his time. So he is the one who first started throwing real doubt on some of these books. We still kept Esther. We still kept a couple of the books that the Jews were even, the Jews, remember, didn't like Song of Solomon much because it was too sexy. They were concerned. They didn't like Esther because it never mentioned the name of, uh, of God. But after a while, all of these arguments, it begins to coalesce. But let's look at the next slide. What is the value? It shows us what was going on for those 400 years. It gives us lessons of faith. And just like uh, some, I, I have people, I've had people come up to me, they'll say, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spend, waste my time on the Apocrypha. But they'll go watch Fireproof, or they'll go watch God's Not Dead. And I'm going, that's the same thing. It's a religious novel. It's just a story, a metaphor, an allegory. You're doing the same thing. Um, and also there are some comparisons with Scripture. But let's start talking about one of my favorites. Uh, let's bring up his slide, Tobit. And we're going to see several pieces of art here, if I can remember to call them up, because <laughs> we have several. Let's see if I can time this right. Tobit was a holy man. Uh, he's not Tobit. No bees, no two bees there. It's only one, so it's Tobit. So don't think of a little guy with hairy feet eating second breakfast. Tobit was a holy man. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Naphtali. He kept the law, and he kept the sacrifices even when his people had deserted the temple. Now, this is still in Jerusalem. The people had deserted the temple. They'd quit going to temple and doing the sacrifices, but Tobit kept the sacrifice is going. In this way, very much like Job, um, very much like Noah, you know, he is isolated, but he is holy. When the captivity came, and it came and they grabbed all the important people, he was one of them, and he was taken into captivity in Assyria. But unlike many of the others, he remained faithful. So this is a guy you want to know about. This is a story about a fellow, and the, the idea is to encourage us with his story, just like the story of Noah or just like the story of Job. 
He had a wife named Anna and a son named Tobias. They tried to stay faithful to God in very trying times. And one of the things that's put in Tobit, did anybody read Tobit? You did? Some of you did? Good. It wasn't bad, was it? It's interesting. It's a little weird, but uh, a lot of ancient literature is. Uh, he had a wife named Anna, a son named Tobias. They try, one of the things that, that they're complimented for was keeping God's dietary laws. Who else do we have a story about in the Old Testament who, while in captivity, God blesses him for keeping the dietary laws? Daniel, well done. This fits in the same category of story as Daniel. If you reject Tobit, you kind of have to reject Daniel because they come from the same era. They also, uh, they impress us, the Assyrians with their righteousness. Again, there's a lesson, is there not? In this world, very often, they're not interested in our doctrine, but they can be won over by our behavior, our love. And Tobias and Tobit and Anna were winning friends among the Assyrians by their behavior. And so the Assyrians said, this guy's an honest guy, and they promoted him and made him a buyer for King Shalmaneser, or Shalmaneser. And Shalmaneser is known in history. He's very well known. Uh, not a bad tyrant, <laughs> as tyrants and despots go. He was probably one of the better choices if you had to choose a tyrant. But he was still a tyrant. But he was a buyer for him. So, so far, so good. Now, Tobit has to travel. He's a buyer. So he goes all over the place. And he goes up into Media, which is way up in Turkey. And he deposits a bunch of his money with a friend. Now, here's where we need to talk about banking in the old days. In the old days, you carried your money, normally in form of jewelry. Uh, and you would melt down jewelry if for, and cut it up for different parts of value. But your jewelry was your value. Because uh, where else are you going to put it? There are no banks. By the way, one of the first banking systems was actually the city, uh, city of Tyre. They figured out how to keep records and that didn't last long one of the next banking systems was the knights templar they figured out a way to put your money one place and get it another place that was very hard to do but tobit wasn't in that time so he found a friend and he deposited this bunch of money now what they did then is they wrote a receipt and they would tear it or if it was on uh, stone they would break it and only if you have the other half of the receipt and it matches do you get the funds Got the story? So he comes back home. But Shalmaneser dies. And now Sennacherib reigns. Sennacherib is not a good despot. He is awful. The stories, I could tell you about Sennacherib, but you know what? Um, there's got to be some reason why there's a Wikipedia. You just go look. Uh, it, I mean, he would put hooks in people's mouths and chain them together, or hooks through their nose, and lead them through the streets. I and mean, he was just an awful, evil guy. So now all of a sudden, Tobit's situation has changed. The new guy's in town. He was not allowed to travel anymore. He didn't like him. Uh, um, Sennacherib did not like Tobit because he was part of the old administration. Whoever comes in to be the next president, or if you're really smart, you know, you overthrow and go get the queen back, um, they're, going to, they're going to change the whole cabinet aren't they well that's what happened to Tobit he's out now he can't travel this is odd for some of you so let me explain in most places in the world today you cannot travel unless you get permission from the government 
And I'm talking about from town to town. Are you aware of that? Americans don't realize how free they are until they leave for a while. But just to go, you know, we're here in Franklin. Let's say I wanted to go to Hendersonville. I don't know why. But say I did. I would have to get permission from the local sheriff and have, have a letter saying I'm allowed to travel. And I could be expected to have to show that several times on my way. Well, Tobit's not getting a letter, which means what? He can't get his money. Now they're falling upon hard times. Well, here we step to the side for a moment. One of Tobit's good works was burying the dead. Sennacherib, uh, and by the way, you can think of that, well, don't people bury the dead? Back then, they had forgotten love for their fellow man. And so when somebody died, they let him die. We can go up to the next painting, by the way. Uh, let's go to the next one. All right, that's him depositing his money. Um, let's go... Let's go to the next one, please. Tobit's all over religious art. Uh, we're about to get, I'm not going to go to the next one yet because we're about to, uh, we're going to save that one for the, the payoff. One of his good works is burying the dead. Now, Sennacherib was frustrated by his inability to capture Jerusalem. That's in the Bible. That's in 2 Kings 19. It's in Isaiah 37. So if you read 2 Kings 19 and Isaiah 37, you get the whole era of this is what was going on in Tobit's life. Sennacherib's trying to take Jerusalem and he can't take it. He is frustrated. So he starts killing Jews wherever he finds them, which he has a whole group of them. He had taken them as slaves or they had been taken as slaves earlier. And so he has them there. He starts killing them and throwing their bodies out in the street and making it illegal to bury them. Tobit goes out and buries the bodies. And here's where you're going to think, I'm making it up. There is an echo of Tobit in uh, contemporary culture and music. Because a group of guys high, way high, sitting around reading the Apocrypha, came up with a name for their group called the Grateful Dead because the dead were being buried. Therefore, they were at peace. There you go. And you wonder why you came to church. <laughs> there you are. I know so, so many things that won't help anybody. Um, somebody uh, eventually informed on Tobit because you've always got those people. You've always got the people that'll see you doing something good and try to shut you down. He had to run had to leave the city. Now he's an outlaw. He has no possessions. He has no money. But a new king comes. Esarhaddon comes. He's not so bad. And he brings Tobit back. Uh, Tobit is so excited. And he shares a happy Pentecost meal with his family. When somebody comes and interrupts a meal and says, a body of, the, of a Jew has been thrown into the marketplace. And he immediately stops his celebration. He gets out to go bury it. But now he can't come back into his house. Because you see, he is orthodox. He keeps kosher. He is now unclean. He cannot finish Pentecost meal. So he sleeps in a garden. Plot turn here. As he's in the garden, bird droppings get into his eyes and he is blinded. I didn't say this was a happy story. It's a story. Now, fast forward, he is blinded. He can't travel and be a buyer. Anna, his wife, has to support him. And in that day, 
that was a shame. He is humiliated. He is depressed. What do men do when they get humiliated and depressed? They get mean. They get difficult. And he would take it out on Anna from time to time. He asked God to take his life. He's lost patience with his wife. He even accuses her of stealing from him. He's ashamed of himself. We need to step aside for a little story here. Okay. Meet Sarah. Sarah's single, but not for lack of trying. Sarah has been engaged seven times. Actually, she's been married seven times. But every time the husband goes into the tent to consummate the wedding night and consummate the, the marriage, therefore, a demon called Asmodeus shows up and kills the guy. Um, it kind of dries up the proposals <laughs> after seven. You know, the word gets around. She, the maids and the others in the village speak against her even though she's righteous. She's a righteous person. She asks God to take her life or show her a reason to live. So God's in heaven. He's looking at Sarah. He's looking at Tobit and Anna and Tobias. And so he sends an angel, Raphael. Raphael. Have you ever, uh, for example, the Catholics name different archangels and such, and you've wondered where those come from? They come from these books. So here comes Raphael, an angel, and God tells him, solve both of these problems. So back to Tobit. Tobit knows that he has to get his money back or his situation is hopeless. So he tells his son, Tobias, you behave, you follow God's law, you be a man of justice and wisdom, and I need you to find a way to get to media to, um, to get our money. So Tobit shows him the receipt half that he has, and he says, you've got to go help him. You've got to find a way. Well, T Tobias walks around, you know, quietly, quietly, and he finds a guide, a guide by the name of Azariah, who says, I can get you to media. This is kind of like a coyote taking you across the border. He says, I can get you there. Plot thickens. Azariah is not really Azariah. Azariah is the angel Raphael. Ooh, chills yet? Uh, pay attention. It's exciting stuff. Well, Anna's heartbroken. Her son is leaving. She says she'd rather lose the money than lose her son. God, uh, Tobit tells her, don't worry. The angels will go with our son. Little irony alert there. Because he didn't know that. Well, it really was an angel. Have you ever wondered if we've been praying sometimes that the angels would go with somebody, that that's the annoying person in the seat next to you on the plane? writer of Hebrews says how many of us have entertained angels and not been aware they show up well Raphael and or Azariah hint hint wink wink as they cross and, and uh, Tobias across a, um, uh, a, the Tigris a water creature attacks Tobit now I want you to think about this for a minute is this just another random plot device I, mean, my, I took my, my grandsons to see Finding Dory this week and and uh, I liked Finding Nemo better, frankly. But in Finding Dory, it seemed like it was like, now we had a tragedy, we need another tragedy, we need another tragedy. We need... And I was going, come on, give the fish a break. You know, um, as I'm sitting there eating my salmon. I Give the fish a break. You don't eat salmon in movie theater? Neither do I, I was just kidding. Um, I have eaten a fish sandwich at SeaWorld before and felt guilty. <laughs> I started, about halfway through, I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> Was this a slow learner? Uh, this one didn't return the ball. Anyway, um, 
Wow, that was way off the notes. Um, <laughs> this is not just another random thing. I was, this isn't. Because how many times in Scripture, in Jesus' life, when he is crossing water to go do good, he gets under a storm? It's the same thing. This was their way of explaining the demons are not happy. They're going to come too. Look at it in the scripture. I'm not going to do it for you. Look how many times in scripture crossing a body of water is the most deadly thing possible. Red Sea, Jordan River, the uh, Sea of Galilee, again and again. Um, this, it's here again. So this water creature attacks Tobit, but Tobit kills the creature. Then Raphael tells him, eat the flesh for food. But save the organs. We're going to do something else with those. Well, as they approach Ekbatana, I don't know why they named it that either, Raphael suggests that they spend the night with this man he knows who has a daughter. The man's name is Ragul. Not Ragu, but I always think of it. Raguel. His daughter's name's Sarah. She's had kind of a hard time. She has a bit of a reputation. Seven husbands dead. Uh, so, and even, Raphael even tells Tobias, she's single. <laughs> he does. I don't think he sings it like that, frankly. I don't know that angels did. They probably go, so single. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, he was hiding his Azariah, so who, who knows? And he says, you know, you're the closest relative to this family. Therefore, you have the right to ask for her hand in marriage. Probably didn't do that either. Now, you and I, we never say, we're the closest relative. You have the right to marry that person. We're kind of in a different situation. But back then, you didn't marry strangers. You married somebody you were related to. Uh, because that, you kept that family that way, and you kept your property that way. You know, I lived in West Virginia for eight years. Still happens, people. Uh, you're in a mall. You hear some kid yelling, Uncle Daddy, Uncle Daddy. You're going, all right. Um, and, my, my youth minister looked at me one day and referred to somebody as his double cousin. And I went, we're stopping here for you, for you to explain that concept to me. Um, I know some of you are going to come up and I have a double cousin too. And I'm going to check you for an extra thumb. I'm just going, you, didn't, you didn't know. I'm going to. Web toes or something. But that's the way it was. Now, Tobias is frightened because he knows what happened to the other seven. Word gets around. But I, you know, he's going, you know, let's go stay at that house. That's pretty, she's pretty, and she's righteous, and you're related. You know, it's a match. Well, Raphael says something interesting. He says, don't be afraid. Quote, she was set apart for you before the world was made. Now, I don't listen to much country music, and it's not against country music. It was just not, that was not part of my growing up. Um, but I've heard a lot of it over the years. And there was a song, uh, God Bless the Broken Road, right? Is that the way it was said? That whole concept of, or thank God for unanswered prayers. God has something else lined up for you. Tobias sees her. His heart was drawn to her. Uh, the dad, her dad, tries to slow things down. He's afraid of what happened to the other seven. Tobias, however, I, he's smitten. He says, I refuse to eat or drink until she is given to me. That's an odd proposal, but it worked. So Raguel directs his wife, Edna, the only person in here with the proper name. Tobias is kind of close, I guess, but Edna. 
to go prepare the bridal chamber. Okay, marriage. I've had people ask me, how does God define marriage? Um, God doesn't give us how to be married. And if you're, you know, I, was, I was talking to a couple of guys, I've done a couple of weddings recently, and I've said, you know, we're standing there waiting for all of the thing to go, so we're allowed to walk out there. And I said, you know, in Scotland, there's a village called Gretna Green. It's just across the border from England. And for centuries, English people would come across the borders into Scotland because in Scotland, you didn't have all the waiting lists and all the bureaucracy and the posting of the bands and the like. Nope, you just went to the blacksmith shop. You wrote your name on a sheet of paper and uh, he rang the anvil and you're married. And they're all saying, can we get that deal? I'm going, let's go. I, I know the guy. <laughs> I know where it is. We, we can make marriage complicated or like back then, you were married because you made an agreement with the dad, and then you were really married after you'd had sex the first time. And if there, hadn't been, if there wasn't sex for years and years, you weren't really married. You were in that kind of betrothal period, all right? So you have to have the bridal chamber. So uh, Edna fixes that up nice and pretty, but she's crying the whole time, not because she's losing a daughter, because, but because she's sure she's going to lose son-in-law number eight. She knows Tobias, and, you know, he's a nice-looking guy, and he's going to die. This is not a happy wedding. In the chamber, Raphael tells him, before you do anything, sacrifice to God the organs of the sea creature that attacks you. So they sacrifice to God first. And just as Raphael told him, the demon that tried to attack them was driven out. And here's another plot twist. They find out that the demon that tried to attack him as he crossed the water was named Asmodeus the same demon that had been killing husbands. If you're wondering why we're doing all this, you'll see why in a bit. Um, Raphael was waiting for the demon. He caught him near Egypt, chased him. And if you're thinking, that's just weird fantasy stuff. Have you read Daniel? Where Daniel is praying, but an angel is saying, listen, the only reason I got here was because another angel took care of that battle so I could run here, but I got to go quickly over here and fight this other battle, and we have to talk fast because we're guarded by the watchers, the angels watching over here to make sure that nothing gets to us so I can give you this information. That's in the Bible. And in fact, he even said, we started trying to get to you from the moment you started praying. It took us 21 days to get here. Be aware, there's a war going on. And so with Tobit uh, and Tobias and all that other, Asmodeus runs after the sacrifice, but Raphael catches him in Egypt, binds him and remo removes him from the scene forever. Before they consummate the marriage, they pray. And the prayer is, grant that she and I may find mercy and that we may grow old together. Well, he doesn't die. Raguel is so happy that he, uh, he gives him half his possessions. And the wedding feast lasts 14 days. Raphael goes to media, presents the receipt, gets the money, Tobit's money. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Tobit is certain that Tobias is safe and will return. Anna is not. She is fretting. She is upset. She sits by the road every day crying. But when they return, yay! And Tobias has brought medicine, fish gall. You know, if that's what you got, that's what you got. Next painting, please. And they apply the fish gall to his eyes, and now he sees, and he has his money, and he has a son back, and he has a beautiful daughter-in-law. Well, they're so happy. They want to pay Azariah 
half the recovered money, but he refuses to take any, and all of a sudden, he reveals himself as the great angel or archangel, Raphael, quote, one of the seven angels who stand ready and enter before the glory of the Lord. He commends them for their prayers, tells them to keep praying, stay faithful. He ascends to heaven, drops a mic, leaves. Now, there wasn't a mic. Don't look for the mic. Uh, Why do you need to know this story? Need is an odd word there. I'm not sure you needed to know it, but they did in the New Testament, and it's referred to. It shows what life was like for people between the Testaments. It was very well known to the people of God. It was a story that they told each other to remain faithful. And when the Sadducees came up to Jesus in Mark 12, Matthew 22, and Luke 20, they even posed the question to him. Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in heaven. They did not believe in angels. So they looked at him and said, well, if angels and afterlife is true, if a woman has seven husbands, remember that story? Then whose wife will she be? What were they referring to? Tobit. Everybody knew that story. And Jesus didn't go, what? He knew the story. Everybody knew the story. It also has something else in it. Checking, I've got about 10 minutes left on the, on the new schedule. Schedule. You also say aluminum. That's, it's aluminum. That's, you know, people, look at it. Anyway, um, the point, point is, you also turn the R's and E's around and leave the U's out. I can't help you. Um, the, it has the negative form of the golden rule which was the way Jews normally knew it until Jesus spun it the positive way. They quoted Tobit all the time, quote, whatever you hate, do not do to anyone. Jesus upped it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So not just don't hurt them, serve them, love them. And then faithfulness. What about faithfulness when God seems silent? Some of us, may be the woman with the dead husbands. Some of us may be the woman sitting by the road crying for a son she's not sure is ever going to come home. Some of us may be the frustrated husband. Maybe we're not blinded by fish dropping, uh, by bird droppings, but uh, we're unable to care for our family. We're una- our, our job situation's bad. Our, will we be faithful and believe that God has his angels? That God is at work in the situation. He knows what he's doing. By the way, as a cautionary tale there, I don't believe that God is going to make everything all right down here. You know, um, I tell people my first, and it's true, my first crisis of faith. When I was in in Bible school, the woman told me, and she was very plain, she said, when you pray to Jesus for something, he gives it to you. Well, got it. Went home and prayed that I would have big muscles because I was always the wee man. Had a crisis of faith. Woke up the next morning, looked at me. I was almost not there. Still just not impressive at all. Stiff breeze kept knocking me down. I'd get up and look again. Nope, nothing happened. I had, and I was... I was mad at God, and I was probably no longer than, uh, older than five or six years old, and I was still thinking, well, then what's the point? 
But I had to say that inside, because if you said it out loud, God would send you to see Jesus uh, through my dad. Uh, he'd, be, he'd be the Azariah of that trip. In heaven, one day, you're going to be walking about, having a good time, looking over, seeing this very tall, muscular, studly-looking man. That'll be me. <laughs> he won't always sort it out down here. Well, and, well wait, that laughing was a bit much. Uh, that's, <laughs> I'm not so certain that was required, uh, or strictly necessary. But also, be aware we're not alone on this earth. God's working here too. His spirit is here. Angels are here. And they're at war. It takes a while to get things done. Before I married Miss Cammy, I was engaged twice. First one died. And it wasn't easy. Don't want to go into details. It took a while. It was awful. So I thought, that's me done. Then another girl came into my life. And very quickly engaged and then just as quickly she dumped me in about the most painful public way possible and I thought that's me done and so I went traveling I would I'd cross borders and such I'd been on my own since I was 16 so I'd strapped a 12-string guitar to my back and had all my possessions in one little bag and started going country to country and a couple of years later two or three years later whatever it was I'm in the mountains of Colorado, two hours away from the nearest electricity and flushing toilet, playing a 12-string guitar by myself at a campfire, when all of a sudden across the way pulls up this camp, camper full of folk, and this girl walks into the firelight. And I decide I'm moving to America. <laughs> 38 years ago, and I still have that same girl and that same guitar. But it taught me something. My timing's not his. And sometimes my choices aren't what he wanted to choose, so he's going to work. Some, I don't, I'm not saying God killed somebody. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying God works within this to get you there. Tobit tells us that. Now, last few minutes, any questions or comments about the book or about the Apocrypha or about any of this? Yes, sir. Are there other references? And I have to repeat because of... Sorry? Okay. Uh, and I have to repeat it because people do listen online. Um, he asked, are there any references in the New Testament to Tobit other than the one I just quoted? Not, not really. That's the plainest one we have. And when Jesus gave the golden rule, he was using that as, as his template. Do you remember he started off the Sermon on the Mount by saying, you've heard it said, but I say, and he upped it every time. That's what he was doing. He's reaching back to something they knew and, make, and upping it. Good question. Any others? I hope this is of interest to you, because if it isn't, I don't know. The other classes stink. I, no, they don't. No, they don't. No, couple. But no, no, they're good. Yes. I believe that it is universally understood that this is just a story, not a real person. I, I've, if there's a person arguing for his historicity, I have not found it. I'll put it that way. It's a, it's a story to encourage. Anything else?
Oh, the rulers were absolutely real. Yeah, he, he put him in a historical con- uh, context. It is historically correct, absolutely. The details, in fact, that's one of the things that makes it very valuable, is it shows us how people had to live before Jesus showed up. And, and the world, especially the books of Maccabees, they're going to give you a lot of information. Yes, sir. Um, let me, I'm, I'm going to repeat your question, then I'm going to ask you to sharpen it for me so I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, here I, he asked, are there other examples in the text of a fictitious person? Now, are you talking about, when you say text, um, what we, the entire Bible. Um, well, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. There are questions about Daniel because of a large variety of issues. The language is wrong. Some of the historical details are wrong. The instruments that he refers to that they played before, the, the, that, those instruments hadn't been invented in Daniel's time. Um, it is generally understood that the book of Daniel was not written 700 years before Jesus, but more like 120 years before Jesus. So how much of it is historical and how much of it is legendary is a big fight right now. Uh, regardless, the New Testament writers would refer to it for moral lessons. Now, this is where people get thrown off. They'll say, but, but, if, but if they referred to it, it must be true. Um, I refer to Romeo and Juliet. I refer to characters out of The Princess Bride. I, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying we learn a lesson from a story we hold in common. All right? Uh, I tend to actually fall on more that Daniel was historical than not. But I have a lot of friends who think I'm an idiot for saying that. So. Other questions or comments? All right, then.